Everybody's doing well this morning. What a pleasant surprise this morning to uh, to see that beautiful snow out there as we we woke up and uh, looked out and just saw saw the roads covered with uh, with snow and ice. I'm glad that we decided to cancel our in-person service this morning for the sake of safety for you all. Uh, I apologize for the technical difficulties that we're having getting our Facebook Live set up, um, but we are, we're not going to have any singing uh, during this time, uh, but we are going to jump into the Word and continue our series on the Gospel of Mark, Jesus, the Servant King. If you guys would just join me in prayer here for a moment. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to draw close to you. And as we open up your word here and now, would you meet your people? Would you meet us here with encouragement from your word that you would remind us of who you are that you would move us on to mission, that you would draw us close to your heart, and that you would break uh, just religious yokes in our lives, God, and free us up to be uh, children who, your children who are walking in joy and freedom and finding the rhythms of grace that you have for us in this season of life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. Um, we're going to uh, open up to Mark chapter 2. You have your Bibles there. Um, last week, we, we looked at Jesus uh, being willing and able. Willing and able to heal. Willing and able to forgive sins. Jesus displayed his authority as the Son of Man and the Son of God, not only by uh, healing a leper and healing a, a paralytic, um, but 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 he displayed his authority and forgiving sins. And when he when he called when he called the paralytic to rise up and take up his bed and walk, uh, he displayed the the authority that he has as the Son of Man and the Son of God. To forgive sins. And we talked about how Jesus wants to not only meet those physical needs we have, but meet our deepest need that we have, namely forgiveness of sins, uh, forgiveness of our sin and restored relationship with God. Jesus' ministry, his kingdom ministry, uh, uh, impacts the whole person, uh, not just the physical and not just the spiritual, but, but both. And the emotional and the relational, uh, the, 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 the salvation and the kingdom work of Jesus in the life of an individual changes a person, changes the trajectory of their lives. And what we're seeing in the book of Mark is we're seeing lives that are being changed by the gospel of the kingdom, by Jesus showing up with good news and displaying the power and the authority of the good news, of the good news of the kingdom. So today we're going to look at Jesus facing some opposition. I've titled this message, uh, Jesus, our physician, bridegroom, and rest. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 13. And I have it up on the screen here. And it says, He went out again besides the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors said to his disciples, why does, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, 
but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so here's our big idea this morning. Here's here's how I'm going to try to tie in these uh, the section from uh, Mark chapter two fourteen through uh, three verses six. We're going to see uh, three or four different scenes of Jesus responding with three different questions that the religious leaders have for Jesus, and then the last the last scene Jesus poses a question to them that they are unable to answer. Our big idea this morning is that the kingdom culture of grace, joy, and mercy that Jesus established among his followers provoked ridicule from the religious community. I hope you got a chance to watch uh, the video, the short video we posted from the Chosen uh, series of this specific instance where Jesus called Matthew the tax collector or Levi the tax collector to come follow him. Uh, but the first thing I just want to highlight here is just the reality of, of Matthew's status or Levi's status. Um, the other Gospels refer to uh, Levi as Matthew. Uh, and he was, he was a tax collector. And tax collectors were despised for their moral corruption. They were known for collecting more taxes than they ought. And they lived in abundance at the expense of their own people and in support of the Roman Empire. So the Jewish people looked down upon tax collectors because of the work that they did. Um, they were seen as compromisers. Um, William Lane in his commentary says said that when a Jew entered the customs service, he was regarded as an outcast from society. He was disqualified as a judge or a witness in court session and was excommunicated from the synagogue in the eyes of the community. Uh, his disgrace extended to his family. And so here we see Matthew or Levi uh, and his name, uh, his name, the name Matthew means gift of God. And some think that like Jesus gave Simon uh, the name Peter uh, and affirmed destiny and identity and calling in him and giving him that name. Uh, some think that that may have happened here with Matthew as well. Nevertheless, we see uh, Levi and Matthew as the same person in the Gospels, this tax collector that Jesus calls to come join his posse. And I like in the Chosen series how, how when, when Jesus calls them, how Peter kind of has a rub there and is like, hey, hey, do you know who this guy is? Uh, and, and Jesus is, is cool with it. Um, uh, so here, my, my first point is this, is that Jesus is the great physician who calls sin-sick sinners to himself. Jesus is the great physician who calls sin-sick sinners to himself. Matthew is a prime example of that. Here's this guy on the outcast. Here's this guy that that was uh, compromised, that was corrupted, that had uh, gone after the, the worldly goods at the expense of his own people. And Jesus says, "Hey, come follow me, Matthew." And and then and then they're having they're eating together, okay? They're they're having this dinner party, okay? And and when the the religious leaders see it, they they ask the first question here in verse sixteen. They ask, "Why does he eat with with tax collectors and sinners?" Okay, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now now you got to keep in mind here that the Pharisees were super conservative. They were, um, many, they, their focus was to be set apart and observe the law of God, okay? And so, so think about verses like maybe Psalm 1 where it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the path of the ungodly nor uh, stands in the, uh, the way of the sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful. Uh, you know, the Pharisees uh, from the Old Testament, they, they, they had this mentality that, you stay away from the ungodly people, right? Uh, it's, and even Proverbs tells us, you know, uh, that that wise company or foolish company um, can lead to destruction. It can be damaging. And so you can see kind of some of the biblical reasoning of why they might struggle with this godly rabbi associating with sinners, with 
tax collectors and sinners. They were concerned about being corrupted by the presence of unclean sinners. Now what we see with Jesus, what we've already seen with Jesus, like uh, in, in chapter 1, when Jesus gets close to a leper, and he, his, he comes in contact with a leper who's ceremonially unclean, Jesus doesn't become unclean. The leper becomes healed and he's restored to fellowship. He's restored and made clean. And so Jesus isn't defiled by the presence of sickness or sinners. Sin, sick, sinners. Jesus isn't drawn into compromise by the presence of ungodly sinners. Actually, those who are around Jesus get impacted and changed. Especially those who recognize, particularly those who recognize their need for Him. So, Jesus' first answer to the, this question, His answer to this question is, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, Jesus uses the analogy of a doctor here. Okay, And he is our healer. He is our great physician. He is the one who has the cure to our deepest, darkest problem, sin. Our sin problem, right? And so it's, it's fitting for a doctor to work with sick people. To work with those who are not well. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, for doctors to work with those who are sick. That's their job, right? And Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now surely this rubbed the Pharisees when he said this. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now let me ask you this. Who are sinners in the first place? According to the Bible, we, are, we have all been diagnosed with this condition of sin. Romans 3. We're all sinners. Now the Pharisees, um, they, they struggled to see themselves in this category. Uh, in, in Luke chapter 18, uh, they were described as those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And, and Jesus challenged the self-righteous religious person of his day uh, with, with moments like this. With, with, with him associating with tax collectors and sinners, with him eating with tax collectors and sinners, and it provoked them. Now notice, uh, particularly in the call of Jesus, notice how the call of Jesus in Levi or Matthew's life was powerful. Okay? Something was happening there in, in Levi's heart, in Matthew's heart, when Jesus called him. Okay, he called him from his tax booth and he said, come follow me. He, and he called him by name. He, it was personal. Levi, son of Alphaeus, follow me. Okay, so we have this personal, powerful call of Jesus. And, and he responds. That the, the call of Jesus is so powerful in the life of a follower that, 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 that Levi is willing to leave his life of luxury with all the worldly goods and status that he has and the security that he has as a tax collector. He's willing to give it up and just go follow Jesus immediately. Okay? Now I'm reminded, uh, as, as we think about this, I'm reminded of Jesus' words in John chapter 6, verse 44. He said that, that no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And so those who responded to Jesus' call to come follow him were being drawn by the Father. Okay? And, and Jesus, and this points to the reality that Jesus' call is based on grace. Okay? It's not based on our merit. It's not based on our worthiness. It's not based on, on what we've done or who we are. It's based on His grace. I love that Jesus chooses the lowliest, the lowest in society. The weak things of the world. The base things of the world. The foolish things of the world. To confound the wise. The weak things of the world. To confound the strong. 
Um, and so we see also that Jesus' call was provoking to the religious. It irked the religious leaders that Jesus would call and associate himself with people like Matthew. Sin, sick, sinners. Okay? Um, and so, so we see that in the life of Matthew. Um, so let's, let's go on here. Um, and actually, actually, let me read this quote before we go on. This is from uh, William Lane. And it says, uh, the specific reference in verse 17 to Jesus' call of sinners to the kingdom suggests that the basis of table fellowship was messianic forgiveness and the meal itself was an anticipation of the messianic banquet. Okay? So Jesus was calling people, the, 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 the lowly, the tax collectors and sinners, uh, to come Come feast with him. Come dine with him. And, and, and he was inviting them in to the kingdom of God. To be a part of the kingdom of God. Now, the, the Pharisees and the religious community, those who didn't see themselves as sinners and didn't see themselves as sick, aren't going to call upon the physician for healing. Aren't, they're not going to call for help. Because they don't see their need for it. But those who recognize their need for that will do so. Um, J.C. Ryle says this. He says, To feel our sins and know our sickness is the beginning of real Christianity. To be aware of our corruption and abhor our own transgressions is the first symptom of spiritual health. Happy indeed are those who have found their soul's disease. Let them know that Christ is the very physician they require and let them consult him without delay. Amen? Also notice in, in this Jesus' missional approach. Okay, Jesus um, came, he was sent into the world to save sinners. Okay? He came to redeem sinners and rescue sinners. And this, uh, this involved him being in close proximity of sinners, of unclean, broken, messy people. Okay, And he calls his followers to live the same kind of missional lives. He says in, in, in John chapter 17, he prayed. He said, verse 15, he said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Okay, this is the, the missional nature of Jesus that we see. We see his style. We see him in action, uh, being amongst the darkness. Okay, shining as light in the darkness, being among the sick, bringing health to the sick, being among the sinners, bringing righteousness to the sinners, being among the broken and bringing wholeness to the broken. Now I want to ask you, saints, how many how many non-Christian friends do you have, and, and that you hang out with, and that you interact with regularly? Many Christians have um, isolated themselves from the not, the non-Christian world. We by by just having our Christian bubbles and Christian fellowship is great. We need good, strong relationships. That's so important that we're connected. Uh, within the body of Christ and that we invest significantly in those relationships. But we also need to befriend sinners and be in proximity of sinners and listen and try to understand their worldview so that we can speak to their worldview with the truth of Scripture lovingly, okay, um, if we're going to win them over, if we're going to see them come to faith. Um, Jesus kind of has this, uh, not only this cold turkey evangelist, evangelism, uh, preaching on the streets kind of style of reaching people, but also this friendship kind of style where he, he is welcoming enough, 
uh, he's approachable where, where ungodly people can come close enough to experience the grace and mercy that he offers. Okay? He's, he's called a friend of sinners in, in other places. Um, could that be said about you or me? That, that we're, that we have the heart of Jesus to where we, we're moved with compassion, we're moved with love and care, that we're willing to go to places to meet people where they're at so that they might experience redemption. Okay? Now, Jesus didn't compromise and he didn't condone sin or sinful practices. Okay? He prayed uh, for his disciples to be sanctified by the truth, uh, but he didn't pray that they would be taken out of the world. Okay? It, it's it, it's not like he wants us to be kind of kind of hidden away in these little communities and uh, isolated from the cities from the world. He wants his people to be light in the darkness, salt of the earth, and and be among be among where where people are at, engaging in the marketplace, engaging in the community, in the neighborhood, uh, where, wherever uh, you have those opportunities to develop those relationships, yet not compromise. Um, and so, so yeah, Jesus was known as a friend of sinners, and he called sinners to follow him. Okay, uh, the next thing here, and actually let me just say this about the Pharisees too. The, the, the term Pharisee, um, it means separated ones. Okay, they were, um, they were focused on being consecrated from the corrupted world. And, and, and that's a good thing not to be corrupted by the, the, the world. Okay, by, by sin, by ungodliness. Um, but they, let me just read this from the Holman Standard Dictionary. Perhaps it means that they separated themselves from the masses or that they separated themselves to study the interpretation of the law. The Pharisees opposed Jesus because he refused to accept their interpretations of the, the uh, oral law. And so what we see here in this next scene is Jesus... Uh, questioned about why his disciples don't fast. So question number two. Here we go. Verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Okay, and this was common for them to do so on Mondays and Thursdays. Okay, that was custom. Right? And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. No one, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on the old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. Tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And the one who puts new wine into old wineskins, if he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Okay, so question number two that the religious leaders uh, bring to Jesus is why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Okay? And, and along with that answer is my second point. This is where I get my second point. Um, and the answer is, uh, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they're with them, they cannot fast. Okay? And so Jesus is the bridegroom in whose presence joy is appropriate. It's, it's appropriate to celebrate and rejoice and have joy when you have the bridegroom with you, okay? Uh, if you, so, uh, the Bible describes the church as the bride. And it, the Bible describes Jesus as the bridegroom, okay? Now, guys, I know you've got to get used to this analogy, but we just have to deal with it, right? Um, so, this speaks to the relationship 
um, that, that particularly that analogy of the bridegroom and the bride speaks to the relationship, the intimate relationship between Christ and His Church, which Paul describes as a as a mystery and how it's connected with marriage. Okay, um, and and so Jesus responds to this question, pointing to uh, the analogy of a bridegroom. Okay, you you when when when, when you're with the bridegroom, there's there's feasting, there's fat, there's there's in celebration. Okay, and then in verse twenty. He refers to the day that will come when the bridegroom is taken away. Now, this is most likely referring to Jesus' death. Okay? That's coming in, in the Gospel of Mark. And we know that in the Gospels, that Jesus came to lay down his life. The, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. As we've said, that that's the key verse in Mark 10.45 in the Gospel of Mark. And so, so Jesus has that... Uh, set before him the, the the cross that's set before him and and uh, and there would be a day there would be a day when Jesus would 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 die uh, and 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 the the disciples it would be appropriate for the disciples to mourn with fasting now fasting Jesus taught that fasting was a part of a, a, an appropriate spiritual discipline uh, in Matthew chapter six Jesus gave his disciples instruction, instructions and in, in how to do that and when they do it, how they were to do it. They weren't to do it for show, okay? They weren't to do it for show like the, the Pharisees and the religious folks did, making themselves look sad and miserable and spiritual because of the, the, the gloom and the sacrifice that they're, that they're committing uh, in, in devotion to God, right? And so, so Jesus' kingdom involves his followers experiencing joy, great joy. And it was, it was only fitting for the disciples as long as they, they had Jesus there, his presence there. It was fitting for celebration. It was fitting for rejoicing. It was fitting for feasting. Okay? Because the king had come. Okay? And the kingdom had come. And, 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 and when we look at the future kingdom and the fullness of the kingdom of God to come, it's described as feasting. There's, there's this great banquet and there's this feasting that takes place. There's this celebration that takes place, not, not mourning. Okay? Um, and so, yeah, so we see that, that Jesus is the bridegroom in whose presence joy is appropriate. Let me just, let me just share with you guys um, a quote from uh, actually actually two two other analogies Jesus uses. He uses one: um, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears from it, and the new one from the old in uh, a worse tear is made. So the analogy of of an old cloth and a new cloth. Uh, to describe the the old way of Judaism, okay, and the customs of the religious leaders, uh, and Jesus's new way of the kingdom, this new kingdom culture that Jesus was establishing, okay, and then he he uses the analogy of new wine with old wineskins in verse twenty two. He says, "No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins." And the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Okay? Now let me, let me share this quote here from Kent Hughes here that I think is, is excellent here. When Christ fills the wineskins of our lives, the swelling life within stretches us to new limits. The inner pressure expels unneeded things and fills every aspect of life. Those who have not yet had Christ take up residence in their life can scarcely imagine how fully they will be filled and how every aspect of their humanity, from their intellect to their emotions, will be changed. So dynamic is the new life that the old wineskins of previous religious structures must give away. 
Practically speaking, our old selves, our previous experiences, our present level of growth, our intellectual formation, our cherished customs, our prejudices, the familiar, the comfortable, apart from Christ, tend to be old wineskins. Okay? Uh, I think this is a helpful quote here in applying what Jesus is talking about. And it's fitting for you and I who know the grace of Jesus, who've experienced the call of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the freedom of Jesus. It's fitting for us to live our lives joyfully, not hindered by a yoke of legalism, not hindered by, by uh, traditions of men, not hindered by cultural pressures that are put upon us Jesus calls his his followers to walk in freedom where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom okay um, and so Jesus uses these two analogies the 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 or three the the bridegroom the 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 old cloth and the new cloth the new wine and the old wineskin to point to this kingdom culture this the kingdom of God that is being brought in to the world and is here now among us. Okay, the next section here, uh, verse 23, uh, that where uh, it says, on, on Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry and he and those who were with him? Now he entered the house of God in the time of Abathathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay? And so the next question here is, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Okay? So according to the Pharisees' interpretation of the law, what Jesus was doing was breaking the law. Okay? And his response was, there were, it's actually twofold, he, he pointed back to David's example when David uh, took holy bread uh, uh, from the priest um, and then he, he gave it to those who were with him. Uh, but then Jesus pointed to this even greater reality, namely that, that he's Lord of the Sabbath. Okay? And, and God's original design for the Sabbath day is not to be an end of itself. Not It's not for humanity. We're not created solely to observe the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was designed to do good and be, be something that would uh, be a healthy rhythm of life for humanity. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay? Now, Jesus is, is using some strong language here. The, the Pharisees, you know, he's already said back in uh, chapter 2, he already forgave somebody's sins. Okay? The paralytic. He says, your sins are forgiven. And it irks the Pharisees because they knew that only God can forgive sins because sins are ultimately against him. And so he has to forgive those offenses. Right? And, and here, uh, Jesus is also pointing to his, his deity uh, as the, the, the Son of Man who's Lord even over the Sabbath. Okay? And he is our rest. He is our Sabbath. In Matthew, he tells us, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest for your souls. Okay? Now, Jesus' way of doing life, his kingdom culture that he brought, continually provoked and aggravated the religious leaders who, according to their customs and traditions of men, had set up these systems that actually 
came in conflict with the law of love. their, Their systems came in conflict with the very heart and intention of God's law. Okay? And it was doing harm to people. It was it was weighty and burdensome on people. They were putting heavy yokes on people. And 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 it rubbed it rubbed them that Jesus was was giving grace, giving freedom and 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 joyfully living before them while they were mourning and miserable trying to keep up with all their interpretations of the law. And so question number three, why why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus gives us just a powerful answer here that he's Lord of the Sabbath. And then we got this last scene where Jesus asked these guys a question. Um, verse uh, one in chapter three. And again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal them on the Sabbath. Okay, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Now Jesus turns the table. Okay, the religious leaders have asked Jesus three questions and Jesus wisely and skillfully responds with biblical scripture solid answers which they couldn't refute. Okay? And here Jesus is is put kind of in a tough position. Okay? And 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 he you know, has the, the man with the withered hand come over and he, come over and he, and he asked the question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? And notice their response. They were silent. They, they didn't have an answer to Jesus' question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To, to save life or to kill it? In verse 5, as he looked around at them, with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out, he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Wow, what what a powerful scene here. And I hope you can see how, how each of these scenes kind of connects together. How uh, Jesus' kingdom culture of grace, joy, and mercy uh, provokes ridicule and opposition from these religious leaders. Jesus, in verse 5, it says that he he had anger. He had anger and he was grieved at their hardness of heart. Okay, this this it bothered Jesus, and this was a, a pure anger, a holy anger, and it was mixed with grief. He was sad because of how hard-hearted and insensitive these religious guys had become. They had become so focused on the ritual, so focused on their interpretation of the law, so focused on their traditions. Okay, and here they were so, they seem to be so concerned about the Sabbath day being kept. And there's this man with this withered hand there. And it, and they don't like that Jesus is going to heal them and, and that he does heal the man with the withered hand. Okay, and so Jesus is rightfully so, rightfully grieved by their hardness of heart. They had become callous. Okay, they have been, they have become so focused on the, the minor details of the law that they, they missed the weightier matters of the law. Okay, like justice and mercy and, and the love of God. Okay, they missed those things. Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go and, go and learn what this means. Okay, uh, they're, they're a prime example of missing uh, missing the forest, uh, looking at the trees. Okay, they're uh, they're they're blinded to um, 
they're hardened and blinded and insensitive to the weak, the broken, the hurting around them. So Jesus uh, just shows up here. He asks this, this question that they can't answer. He silences them. And then he displays his authority. Okay, The one who is Lord of the Sabbath. The one who is uh, the great physician. He displays the Son of God, the Son of Man. He displays his authority. And he heals this guy with, uh, with a withered hand. And he shows mercy. And he does good on the Sabbath instead of doing harm. Okay? The Sabbath was made to be a blessing for us. And I hope you guys are enjoying uh, a nice restful day with the snow and, um, and, and just embrace it for what it is. A, a gift uh, at home uh, of rest. Uh, but here it's interesting in verse 6 what we see from the Pharisees that immediately, and remember this was on the Sabbath, Immediately, they held a council, okay? They, they went to work, okay? They went to work on the Sabbath day, and they, they not only went to work on the Sabbath day, but they were working with unholy people, the Herodians. And they were not only working with unholy people on the Sabbath day, but they were working to destroy Jesus, to take a life instead of give life and help life flourish. And so here we see the hypocrisy of these religious leaders uh, come to a head, come to a point where uh, they're, they're, they're actually compromising by teaming up with the Herodians. Now the Pharisees were not friends with the Herodians. The Herodians were a group of uh, political, um, political leaders uh, who had um, who were compromised, who had, um, well, they were a group of political leaders, just who were uh, <clears throat> ungodly, um, and, and they, they teamed up together. So you have the Pharisees uh, and the Herodians teamed up together in this unholy allegiance to destroy the Holy Son of God, to put a stop to the Messiah and the good work that he was doing in the world. Um, and so let me let me just close in, in a couple, just two points in application. I want to be m- mindful of y'all's time here. Uh, so two things. One is practice hospitality with unbelievers with the aim of showing them love and speaking the truth of the gospel to them. Okay, practice hospitality. I think hospitality is, is an effective way for you and I to engage in evangelistic ministry, especially in our day. Okay, inviting non-Christians over for dinner. Uh, there's, there's been very effective outreaches like the Alpha Course or Explore God and, and uh, Explore Christianity and, and, and different courses like that that, that kind of take this approach where you invite non-Christian friends over and, and you just give space to have conversations about God and life and, and the worldview and, and struggles and, and, uh, and so as Christians, we should be the most hospitable people uh, because Jesus was hospitable. We, he welcomed people with all their brokenness, with all their baggage. He didn't let it scare him away. And he didn't let it defile or cause him to compromise and indulge in sin. His influence upon the the um, the sinner and the tax collector uh, was greater and transformative in their lives. And he's called us to be salt and light in the world as well. Okay? And so let's let's be like Jesus in that way. And showing hospitality and showing love and speaking the truth of the gospel when we're in those situations. Calling people to change. Calling people to change their mind. Calling people to change their direction. Jesus called for that. He demanded that. We looked at that in the very first message from this Gospel of Mark series. Jesus went about preaching the good news of the kingdom, saying, repent and believe the gospel of the kingdom. Change your mind, change your direction, and believe the gospel of the kingdom. Okay. Now, I think it's interesting how Jesus' ministry 
just ha- he had the, the most opposition from the religious community. Okay, and I think if we're going to live on mission like Jesus did, if we're going to live missional lives where we're engaged in, in seeking to, to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think there's going to be times where it rubs the religious community just like it did in Jesus' day. Okay, um, so avoid letting traditions and religious convictions um, uh, lead to neglecting the law of love. Okay, avoid letting your traditions or religious convictions uh, lead to neglecting the law of love. Okay, when the law of love and and uh, ritual and tradition and and secondary conviction convictions come in conflict. They must give way to the law of love, okay? Because if we're really going to um, to carry out the spirit and the heart of the law, Jesus said it's fulfilled in these two commandments that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself, okay? And Jesus lived this out perfectly before us. He, he lived a sinless life. He only did what pleased the Father, uh, and, and, uh, and oftentimes that involved him displeasing the religious community. Okay, it often involved him displeasing those who were self-righteous and legalistic. Okay, if you're watching here today and you're not a Christian, I, I just want to call you to consider who Jesus is. As Mark describes him as the Son of God, the Son of Man, the the one who came to serve people just like you and give his life as a ransom for people just like you. Now, if, if you recognize today that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, okay, you can turn to Jesus and experience his help. Because the reality is, is that every human being has a condition that's worse than coronavirus. Every human being has a condition that is worse than cancer. Every human being has been diagnosed with sin. We are sinners. And the Bible tells us that the penalty for sin, the wages of sin, is death. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, who never sinned, Never sinned. He lived a sinless, perfect life. He was tempted to sin, but he was without sin. He he lived a perfect, sinless life. He died the death on the cross that you and I deserve to die because of our sin. He didn't deserve to suffer and die the way that he did. And yet, he went to the cross, and he went to the grave for three days. And on the third day, he was resurrected from the dead. And he is alive, and he lives, and he reigns forevermore, and he offers you forgiveness. He offers you freedom from the chains that have bound you. He offers you friendship with him. He's called a a friend of sinners. He, He came to save sinners. So if you can see yourself in that category, as the Bible puts all of humanity in that category... If you can first see yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior and recognize that your good is not good enough to get you to heaven. Your good is not good enough to earn favor and acceptance with God. The Bible tells us that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Okay, All of our righteousness is is as filthy rags. And what happens when a person becomes a Christian, they turn away from from trusting in their own righteousness, and they put faith in Jesus, who became for us our righteousness, who gives us His righteousness, who washes our sins away, who redeems us, who rescues us, who changes us, who gives us new life, who gives us new purpose and hope and vision for living. The Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so if you want to experience the kingdom realities of righteousness, being in right relationship with God, and that translates 
into uh, right relationships with others as well. Peace with God. And that, that, that spills into peace with relationships with others. And joy in the Holy Spirit. And that joy uh, comes from knowing God as your Father, knowing Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, and knowing that your sins are forgiven. And that joy just spreads. Okay? Joy is a characteristic of the kingdom of God. The kingdom culture that Jesus brought was one of grace, was one of joy, and was one of mercy. And if you want to experience that, you want to walk in that, you want to experience that not just now, well now, but but for all eternity, then today respond to his call. Just like Jesus called Matthew and he said, come follow me. Would you respond if you if you sense the Spirit of God tugging on your heart? You sense the call of God tugging on your heart today. Respond. And just lay down your lay down your, your sins, your burdens, those things that are holding you back. And trust in Jesus Christ, who loves you, who gave himself for you to redeem you. Amen. Well, let me just close in prayer. I'm I'm pretty chilly in my office here. It is cold. Um, but I hope you guys are staying warm, enjoying some coffee and hot chocolate. Um, if you, if you're watching online and you would like prayer, um, or, or if you just got any comments, guys, City Church, uh, feel free to comment if you got any, um, just insights that you got as you were studying this passage or even as we were digging into it today. Or if you have any questions, feel free to comment on that and, and we can, uh, have some dialogue on the comment bar, um, after, after this time. Alright? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. I thank you for, for City Church and um, God, the, the community of uh, the saints that you've, you've brought together. And thank you for the grace and the mercy that we've experienced, the joy that we've experienced. And may we see more and more of that. God, may we be more and more winsome and gracious in our approach to engaging Non-Christians, God, may we, may we see many, God, who are living in, in misery and despair and meaninglessness, who don't know you. May we see many this year come to know you. And may we have great joy in seeing new life and, and redemption and, and, and lives being changed, families being changed by the power of the gospel. Give us vision. For what it looks like for us 